Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Pod Strickland. I'm your host, Shwini Poo, and this is episode 201. I'm joined on a gloriously lovely Sunday morning by my co-host, Stacey Penn. That's at Stacey Penn 89. Stacey, how are you doing? Doing pretty well. Glorious is a good word for it. Yeah, it's been a great weekend. Um, actually feels like summer now, but it's not obscenely hot, which is... Uh, which is a nice balance to have, because um, you know that once it hits like July and August, it's just going to be fucking disgusting outside. Yeah, it's um, I, the worst is when like this part of the year gets washed out by tons of rain. Yes, and it's like yeah. So I'm glad we're getting knock on wood a little bit of a real spring summer transition. Yeah, uh, that will be nice. Uh, but before we get started, I have to make an announcement that Strickland has a Patreon. You can subscribe to it. There's a number of tiers. There's a $6 tier that gets you access to Pod Strickland every Friday that I do with Prez. You also get access to the new look mailbag that will be hosted by Drew Steele. You also get access to the Strickland Discord, where the conversation about basketball and the Knicks never stops. There's a $9 tier that gets you access to my solo pod, Strick and Roll, uh, that I do every week. You also get access to wonderful weekly articles by Jack Huntley and Matthew Miranda, two of the best in the business. There's further tiers, $15 tier, $30 tier, $50 tier, and $100 tier. Those come with a variety of additional benefits like live watch parties, listening in on pod recordings, even potentially co-hosting a podcast alongside yours truly. If you choose to subscribe, thank you very much. And if not, still, thank you very much. None of this would be possible without you. So, without further ado, let's get started. Uh, I wanted to ask you some theoretical draft questions, but not theoretical in the sense of individual players necessarily. Uh, but, you know, look, I was listening to uh, the draft pod that Prez did this week with friend of the show, Azulo, um, who hopefully everybody is following on Twitter, and if you're not, do that. Uh, and... You know, look, they were talking a bit about Mark Williams and Jalen Duran. I think is it Duran or is it Duran? I've heard both. I think it's Duran. Duran. Okay, we'll go with that. Um, and I know you're not a fan of taking a five at eleven, and I'm to be completely honest, I'm not either. Um, especially like I would be okay with them taking a big at eleven if they had another move lined up to move back into the first and take a wing. Uh, because I think there will be a lot of wings drafted between 11, 20, 25, somewhere in that range. That I, I would know there's like one that you like a lot. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Yeah. Later. yeah. Um, and so I would, I, in that specific scenario, I would be okay with them taking a big at 11. But I wanted to talk about this in a different way because a lot of the pushback I've seen and I wouldn't say this is your exclusive hangup from you and others, is that if you draft a big at 11, 
it's likely going to be like a couple of years before they're at the level that Mitch is at right now, which is, I think, if we just want to, you know, not to debate it further, because we've talked about Mitch way too much, but like, we can say at the minimum, Mitch is an average starting center at the very above average, but yeah. All right. I'm fine with that. Above average starting center. Let's go with that. So it'll be two years or something like that before a player like Mark Williams or Jalen Duran or whatever big guy you like in this draft is potentially able to play at that level. Is that fair to say? Okay. So this is my question. I, I, I've also, I listened to John Schmelk with uh, Bakri on their pod a couple weeks ago, and they were talking about how it feels like the Knicks are two, three years away from being in a position to potentially be a contender. And I think that's fair. I think that's accurate. My So my question then is, like, if that's the case, should we care that a big guy that would come in to potentially replace Mitch, be it immediately or down the line, whatever it is, that we would take a hit on the court in terms of performance in the short term? Yeah. Um, sorry, go ahead. And so, like, I guess my question is not just specific to the bigs, but also broadly, like, if we accept that the Knicks are, there's not really a move they can make that's going to make them a contender in the next couple of years, other than, look, if, if R.J. Barrett takes some massive star leap this year or quickly or Obi or whatever the fuck, that obviously changes the calculus. But most likely, even if, R, like, if R.J. takes a leap to, stardom so let's say stardom is we've like we've said before like jalen brown right if he makes a leap to jalen brown level i still don't think that makes the knicks a contender in the east right that would be a great leap and it'd be a great development for the knicks but that's not a like that's not turning the knicks into a contender. even if randall turned into some i'm not saying this is likely even if randall turned into 2020 21 randall i probably agree with you but i, think I still don't think different. they'd be a contender but they'd be a lot they'd be like a move away yeah. So, okay, in that scenario, and not like a not necessarily a huge move, especially. Right. I think the thing with RJ turning to Jalen Brown, I do, I wouldn't bet on this, but Randall reverting to what he was, and then you have the incremental steps from guys like Quickly or whatever. Like, I do think that could add a little more nuance, but generally, I agree with you that yeah, like him being Jalen Brown probably on its own isn't um, enough. Right. And so, like, I guess my question is like, it just feels to me like. Everybody understands that the likely scenario is the Knicks are not going to be a contender for the next two, three years. So, I... And next year's class is supposed to be awesome, from what I've read. So, why do we care so much about if we took a step back in the short term, assuming the... like So, this like applies to the bigs, because it's like, if you would think a player like Duran or Mark Williams or whatever... That in the short term they're not going to be as good as Mitch, but your internal projection is they have a higher level and they will hit it in two, three years, whatever it is. Isn't that like what you should prioritize instead of well, we can't draft this player because in the short term we will be worse or whatever the fuck is the case? Yeah. So um, first of all, I am agreement with you that the philosophy should absolutely be find the guy with the highest ceiling. Um. Or that's what they should be considering, um, because it's not just next year's draft or the fact that they won't be good for a year or two. I think you do need 
young contributors, but the Knicks, as we've talked about, have done a great job of identifying those guys. Um, you know, everyone they've drafted has contributed in some way. Deuce is the lowest, I think, in terms, and still, like, he's impacted multiple games. They probably quickly was the star of that Miami game, but Deuce had a bunch of big moments, and I think Deuce's on-ball ability allowed IQ and others to freelance a little bit more on defense and, and make some plays. Um, so everyone, I mean, that's fair to say, right? Everyone they've drafted has, has already been a positive contributor. Is that fair to say? Um, yeah, like I think at the, the like very Sims least, probably grades out as a net negative advanced stats, but like, I think he was a net positive actually. Uh, like, I think on off he was on off he was. I'm talking yeah. about like BPM or like uh, I can check right now. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, I, I think at the very least, what we can say is everybody they've drafted looks like a guy that's going to have a legitimate career in the NBA. That doesn't mean they're all going to be like ten year veterans or whatever, but like. I don't think Deuce McBride is going to wash out at the end of his rookie contract or Jericho Sims or any of these guys. Yeah, exactly. Um, and with Sims, 10-year thing is probably just a fact of Rivers' age. Same with Obi, yep. right? Because they came in the league late. Um, but, you know, um, you know, they, they found those guys. So that's another reason where, like, if they, had, if they were in the situation where it's like, you know, that we knew the Knicks weren't going to be good for a few years when they drafted um, Knox, right? Um, but that was a time when I would have said, okay, I don't think Knox had a higher ceiling than Michael Bridges, but if you bought that, right, that there's a chance that this guy becomes Paul George, you still probably should have taken someone like Bridges or Shigelgis Alexander, who I don't think people realize this was SGA's ceiling. I was pretty high on him, and I didn't think this was going to happen. But, um, you know, those were guys who would be more proven immediate contributors. So I don't. I think that. So so I think that even if you know that you're going to be not good for two to three years, it still could make sense to take a guy with a high floor, particularly if there's a good ceiling. Um, particularly also because a lot of the times high floor guys, I, I just mentioned Shadilus Alexander, have a higher ceiling. That there is uncertainty around those things too, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think Kawhi was thought of as like a super high ceiling guy when they drafted him. He was thought of as like he's going to be a glue guy, elite defender, right? Am I wrong on that or? Uh, I. I don't. I honestly don't remember what the like broad consensus was. I just remember like he was the guy I was like praying fell to the Knicks because I couldn't believe he dropped out of the top ten. Yeah, just because like I I remember. I mean, I got Shumpert that draft, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We took Shump, but like I just remember before the draft, like looking at some film of his and then just looking at his numbers and advanced stats, and I was like, this guy is awesome. If the Knicks can get him, that would be great. Um, and so like, I don't know what the consensus was, but I just remember like thinking if he shot the three, well, he could be really fucking awesome. And lo and behold, uh, that, that has been true. Kawhi Leonard has shot the three well and been a lot better when healthy than I think anybody could have reasonably expected. Yeah. I mean, he has at at his peak and healthy, he had an argument. I think he's the best player in the NBA when he's healthy. I think that's a strong argument. I think even a couple of years ago when LeBron was at his peak, you could have made that argument, or certainly you could have made a Kawhi over KD argument. Um, and that's yeah. not an argument. That's just a fact of life. <laughs> Shout out! I know playing with a gulliness. Um, <laughs> what? So anyway, what I was saying is, you, I, I don't think necessarily you have to take the time. Like I think there is there are advantages to getting someone who's proven. And mm-hmm. Kawhi, I think, is a good example of a guy that like he had a role as soon as he came into the NBA, but that doesn't mean his ceiling was lower, right? Um, for the big specifically, here's why I've brought it up in the past. 
Mm-hmm. It's because a lot of people talk about getting Duran or Mark Williams as a cost-saving move. Now you don't have to pay Mitch. Um, but you like, and I think that would hold if you were getting a similar level of production or even 75% of the production. Um, if, between the two of those, personally, I like Duran better as a prospect for the reasons you mentioned. Um, well, I'll, I'll get into, but like in the line of take the best ceiling guy. So Duran is, I think he has that ceiling as like a true, like it's, we talk about how hard it is to find three level scores and, um, you know, like freakish wings. It's also tough to find, um, you know, a guy who can really switch one through five. I think we talked about this. Like there's probably less than five guys in the NBA that that really applies to. Um, so that's also really, so that is what, ex- like, whereas I don't, I mean, I know there are people who are higher than Mark on Mark Williams's mobility. I don't see him being anything but a drop big with Williams. I think he probably will come in as a better player than Duran because he can at least protect the rim um, and, and grab rebounds. Um, what I think, where I think you would see, they would take two to three years to surpass Mitch maybe. Um, is I think some people are, are high on the, the shooting and post game that I see taking a couple of years for Williams to develop, but beyond that. So, but I, I do agree with you that they should be taking, they shouldn't really be that focused on how good someone is next year. But, um, but I bring that up only because people who are proponents of taking a center say that as a cost saving thing. And if you really just like the level that Duran and Williams are likely to be at next year, I don't think that's that much higher than a guy like Christian Coloco. There's a couple of other interesting center projects in the second round. Um, I think you can you can find that value later. And then the last thing I'll say is, if we are talking about ceiling, I just think the ceiling of those guys, even in two to three years, um, just like the ceiling for, and that's why I put up those polls, right? The ceiling for a guy like Jalen Duran, maybe something like Robert Williams um, or Jared Allen. Um and Jared Allen isn't quite that switchy, so you can. But he's, I think, he's bigger than Duran. Uh, the ceiling for Williams might be um, a very good post-up big um, who can, who is, who can't switch. I still think there's going to be wings that have higher ceiling outcomes than that available, and that's just why um, you know. So that's the thing, right? So I think if cost saving, like we got rid of Mitch. If cost saving to get like seventy five percent of the production of Mitch is the is the objective, you can do that with free agency, or you can do that in the second round. Um, and if ceiling is the is the basis, I think there's just like the the ceiling of like a wing that we're, that's going to be available is just going to be higher than I think the ceiling of Duran or Williams. Um, yeah, I think that's fair. I just think like. Where I struggle with it, I guess, is like if the like, and I don't again, I don't think they should do this. But let's just say like they internally believe that Duran or Mark Williams, like one of these guys, and they might judge as Mark Williams' mobility. I could be off on his mobility. I personally did not. I thought Virginia Tech in particular really exploited his lack of foot speed. But if they're higher on that, or they think that with more polish. Maybe he can be switchable, or like a a version of drop that's more aggressive than like standing ten feet in the paint. They should, you know, that I can see that that value proposition. I just don't think the film displays that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think one of the things with a guy like him at his size and wingspan is like he just has to master like the distance he has to give to a perimeter player in a switch. 
because he can cover that ground, right? Like he doesn't need to be right up on a player because he can kind of eat up the space in between if he contests at the right time. But anyway, like my point is like if they think one of these guys has a super high ceiling and like, you know, Ace talked about this on the pod with Prez a little bit is like, if you think up, like, let's just say Mark Williams, because this is the guy he talked about a bit on there. Let's just say they think not only is he switchable, but he won't get played off the floor in the playoffs. Okay. And if they think that he won't get played off the floor in the playoffs and they like, okay, we think he can be a 16 and 10 guy who provides elite rim protection. Like, isn't that worth the 11th pick then? Like, because... But that, I, you're talking ceiling, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm if just saying like... there's a 30% chance of that happening, I would think that a ceiling would be higher, right? But, I, I, I'm saying like, if that's what they believe. It, I'm, I don't know. I don't have... My, my thought is, given the wing talent that'll be available at 11, the Knicks should not take one of the big guys. That's my belief. But I'll be honest and say that, like, if they drafted one of those guys, I, in isolation, not thinking about it in the totality of the draft, but just in isolation, I would assume that is because they internally believe this player has a chance to be a super high-end starter at the very minimum, a player that doesn't get played off the floor in the playoffs, and a player that likely I again this is an assumption but likely that they project to be much more than just a simple vertical lob threat play finisher in terms of offensive scoring i know that mitch is an elite offensive rebounder and his putbacks are amazing but i'm talking about in terms of designed offense like actual play called offense a player who gives you multiple that gives you an ability to actually you know run some usage through him yeah I mean, um if I'm if yeah. I'm taking Williams there, I would like an eight and type outcome on offense in terms right. of Right. I agree with that. And so like like do I think that's likely? I mean no ceiling projection or ninetieth percentile outcome projection for any prospect is likely, right? That's like an outlier for any prospect. But like you have to bet on outliers. And so maybe again, if they believe that this player Again, be it Duran or Mark Williams, whichever one of those two bigs is that player, shouldn't they take him? Even if broadly speaking, we can believe that, and I think rightfully believe that the average wing is better than the average, or more valuable, I should say, than the average big guy. And the above average wing is more valuable than the above average big guy. But like, that's not how a draft works, right? Like, you have to look at who's available to you. And all that. And so, like, if they think Mark or Duran is, they have a 30% chance of becoming a borderline all star or all star caliber big guy, versus, let's say, they have a group of wings that's like Branham, Johnny Davis, uh, Jalen Williams, whoever, whatever wings are left on the board there, those guys they like, but they like them as more like solid starters. Yeah. Um, Here's the, what I would say. If the 90th percentile outcome for Williams is Aiton, um, or maybe a, a slower version of Aiton, or, or Jared Allen, right? That's, Do you think he's more physical good, than Aiton, naturally? The 90th, if the 90th percentile outcome... I'm asking a question. Like, Do you think he's a more physical yeah. player than Aiton? Because I feel like Aiton, the one thing I really stood out to me in this playoffs was like, 
I mean, that Dallas series was so insane to watch where he's just like fading away on fucking Dwight Powell. And I'm like, look at you, man. You are like fucking. Yeah, but I think the flip side, I would agree with that. But I also think the flip side of that is Williams doesn't have his skill away from the rim. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that there are like his touch. And I will say this one thing I would imagine that the Knicks will be like about Williams a lot is that he did improve so much as a free throw shooter. Uh, I think second year players who make a big improvement are their jam, right? Quickly is obviously one. Um, Deuce, Grimes. I guess Grimes is a little bit different, but yeah. Grimes and Obi were in that mold of like, you know, transferred, had yep. to kind of rein, like Obi was a late bloomer, but obviously, so they will like that about Williams. It probably speaks very well to his work ethic. Um, but getting back to what I was saying, at the 90th percentile, if, if Aiton is the outcome, really great outcome, but if the 90th percentile outcome for Tari Eason is Kawhi, or probably not 90th, but let's say like, a, like you know, something like PG or something like. I, I had a really weird one for him that I thought of yesterday. What if it's like Jaron Jackson Jr.? I could see that. Because um, like he profiles power... is like a four or five, right? Kind yeah. Of. And like the way he drives, like I, I think Jaron Jackson's physicality on drives is actually pretty underrated. Um, I think he's thought of as a not physical player, but he was bullying Wiggins a lot in that series. Um, I think that's that's an interesting comp. Um, and uh, I think Eason's a much better rebounder already than, um, than Jackson is. Um, but in terms of the offensive versatility, um, I mean, man, I not to, like obviously I'm biased against Tom Izzo, but man, I thought he misused Jaron Jackson Jr. Yeah, he definitely did. Um, so, but anyway, like I think that even with the 90th percentile, I think the wings are going to have like like the 90th percentile outcome for a wing is more exciting, unless that outcome for the bigs is like 78. Like if you think it's the 80th percentile outcome is it Williams or something like Adam, then you're like, all right, if I have a 20% chance of that, or like a 5% chance at, uh, you know, Paul George, that's where it gets a little dicier. But I think the 90th percentile outcome for a lot of these wings is still more exciting than, you know, the outcome you mentioned for Duran or, um, and I think to be clear, like, I think that that threshold does need to be like a top five center. I think like, if the ceiling is Robert Williams, like a ceiling of like a high level wing is still more exciting to me. Um, and then the last thing I'll say is everything is kind of a bet, right? Mm-hmm. So if you want to find bets on like, this is a wing who can be that versatile guy versus a big who can give us those things, right? Like just free agency, like we never get those guys. Like we had to pay twenty million or $18 million for Evan Fournier, who is a very good player, I think but is limited, right? He doesn't give you all of those things, right? Or you would have spent it on Norm Powell or, or Gary Trent. Even like the kind of meh wings, it's really tough to find them. Um, whereas like, you know, a guy like Isaiah Hartenstein, we might get for MLE. And he would give us a lot of what we need from the big position. Uh, not an elite big, but, um, you know, like, and I think there will be others like that. I mean, if you want to take a project and say, we bet on our player development, an older prospect. I know there's a lot of Knicks fans who don't like Mo Bamba, but Graded out pretty well in advanced stats. Um, you know, I think when you watch him and how bad the Magic are, given his talent, like there's fair questions there. But he, like, he shot 38% from three on a good volume. Like he can give you some of those things. So I just think, and and like probably still has untapped upside because Orlando has kind of been a mess, and we have great player development. So um, I, I hear you, and I think like it's also like it depends on who's available again. So like yeah, if they if they don't if they think Benedict Matherin is like basically going to be Buddy Hield with slightly better defense, right? And you say, but Mark Williams could be eight in level. 
I get that. You know, I get that that comp. But for the most part, the 90th percentile for wings is going to be more exciting than a center who isn't gonna who doesn't have a chance of being Jokic MD type. Yeah, no, I I, I agree with that. And um, you know, look, I I think if Matherin is there, I would 100% expect that he will be their pick. I, I'm i not sure Matherin will be there. He's seen, like, I'm actually kind of surprised he's getting buzz as, like, five, six, seven in that range. Not because I don't like him, but it's just, like, he's the type of guy who I think drops often. Uh, like, second-year player who, yes, he improved, but, like, didn't show a ton of on-ball creation. Uh, I mean, I know he showed flashes. I'm not saying there's nothing there, but like he didn't show a ton of that. And I'm just surprised that teams are as in on him it, as it seems anyway. It could be, you know, that could just end up being bullshit. And he's, he drops. But um, yeah, like I, I tend to agree. And I think, you know, again, like I prefer them to take a wing. And as I said, like I, there's a very specific scenario where I'm okay with them taking. Mark Williams, right? Who I who I like, you know. Just I think this is pretty obvious. I like him better than Jalen Duran. Um, maybe doesn't have the all around broad set of skills. I just think like a dude with his size has the potential to be so elite at a few things that like I would just rather bet on that than the dude that you know Duran could has elite potential too. It just like, and he's very young, so I think to the extent that there might be gaps in his game, like it's pretty understandable for someone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just, yeah, I don't know. I just think, like, Williams to me looks like one of those guys who's, like, 21, but is, like, there's more upside there than his age would indicate. Uh, And I'll say this, too, with Williams. I love the fit in Charlotte. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that allowing them a post-up threat um, and someone who can, like you said, attack switches, so, you know, they don't switch off Lamelo in the pick-and-roll, like, he could be really tough. Um, and I think that, you know, given that they, you know, if they add, they have some athleticism on the wing, so they can maybe cover for him a little bit on, on defense. And then he's just behind there as like a, a wall. I think he's a great fit there. And I think I can see Michael Jordan really liking his game. Um, but I think also a team like Charlotte, they have found their, like, I, I mean, maybe, maybe you think Lamelo is a little overrated, but they have found... In Lamelo and Bridges, I would say they have two prospects that are more proven than anyone on the Knicks. Is that fair to say? And they're both six seven. Uh, I would say they're gonna have to pay Bridges, so maybe that's a little bit of a different story. But yeah, I don't know if we can call. I feel like once you're done with your rookie contract, it's tough to call you a prospect anymore. Yeah. Um, but they have a six seven guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who's yeah. switchable and all of that, and does all those things, right? Lamelo is has not shown that on defense, but I think his defense has been better than people talked about it at the draft so they have those star creators so for them taking like a high level big who you can you know like that makes sense you know um for the knicks i think it makes less sense because we haven't like rj is still needs to take that step and i don't think you can go into the draft assuming he's going to do that i think you can believe that he's going to do that but that's different from acting as if that's a foregone conclusion um i think that applies even more so for quickly um, so yeah, like that's kind of like, it is also the Knicks situation is a little bit different too, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I would be the, the one thing I'll say about Charlotte though, is like they drafted Kai Jones last year at 19 and they traded a future first. I know it was protected, but they traded a future first to get that pick. Like 
I know everybody's projecting them to take a big guy. I'm just like, would they really spend a first in consecutive seasons on a big? Like, I'm assuming part of the reason they wanted to move on from Borrego was his lack of trust, I guess, in the guys that they spent first round capital on. Like, they he barely played Booknight. Him and Booknight had some real issues that boil over in games. Kai Jones obviously barely played. I know JT Thor got a little bit of burn, but not much. And I know he was a second-round pick, but people really liked him. And so compared to like, Borrego, Tibbs is basically uh, Kenny Atkinson. Like, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I literally, I said this, like, I remember saying this a few times, but, like, yeah, Tibbs is, you know, and we give shit to Tibbs for his lack of, like, minutes to young guys. I think, personally, justifiably, he deserves to get some of that shit. But, like, this is why, at the same time, it's probably worth mentioning that, like, a lot of coaches struggle to balance like trusting youth and you know wanting to win games. And so yeah, I mean I think Borigo clearly erred on a very, very horrible side. Um Yeah, so I guess like moving on from that, if you look at the Knicks roster and you look at you know just how things are going in the NBA and what you need to do to match up with the best teams in the league. What are like the four or five skill sets or skills or problem areas that you just look at and you're like, these are the things that the Knicks need to improve upon or address as they look to build a competitive roster long-term. And I know like a lot of, like I, I know, I don't know if you agree with this. People like oh, continue to say point guard, and like I just feel like that's such a. I feel like that's not the right way to even look at it because like that's not a skill set. That's a fucking position, and like I also just disagree that point guard in and of itself is like you know we talk about the threshold for bigs in terms of like it's so high. Like I think the threshold for point guards is really high, and like. I think the Celtics could be a good example of this. And I actually think Milwaukee is an example of this too, where like being an offensively gifted lead guard or point guard, whatever it is, those guys don't win a lot. Like, and I'm not saying they don't lead good teams, but like in the history of the NBA, how many teams champions have had a six, three or under high usage ball handler as their best player. Yep. Right? It's like Steph Gold Yeah, it's like Golden State and Detroit with San, Isaiah Thomas. San Antonio, but one year. Yeah, yeah. We talked about this. I, I don't know if I agree with that. But like whatever. Even if we want to give that, right? That's three. Like that's just not uh, and I just think like you look at what Boston has done with Smart and Milwaukee with Drew Holiday, where they're like, Okay, our best player, our best offensive players, initiators, whatever, are not going to be from that position. And that has its own drawbacks. But, like, if the trade-off is we can have a high-level defender at this position who can switch and give us versatility in that sense, that is a much better way to build out the roster. Do the Knicks have a player like that? Uh, I don't think quickly is anywhere near as switchable as those guys. But I do think he's, he's a very... position defender. Yeah, I think he's a very good defender. I think he's smart. And, and then, I like, think... he's held up on, like... Like, there's been times he's had a four on him. Like he's he's got really good core strength and like length, so like he'll force misses. So 
probably some randomness, and I don't think he's going to have the same rim protection numbers that he had this year, but um, he's, he's game. He, but yeah, sorry. Yeah, so I just think, like, I, I think when people say point guard as, like, an, a, a, an area of need, I just think that's, like, a really limited, very, like, it's almost like a very outdated way of viewing positional need and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and I mean, it's because the Knicks have had such putrid point guard play in the past. Um, like as good as quickly was as a rookie, I still wanted I wanted Deuce or Bones last year. Like it's an important position. Um, and um, you know, they they've had such like there is a threshold, right? You're right in saying that the best player has never been six three or under guard. Um, but you need better production than. Ramon Sessions, um, Jarrett Jack, yes, Frank Nilakina, Alfred Payton, uh, Jose Calderon. Um, basically, every point guard the Knicks have had between Raymond Felton and Derrick Rose. Uh, Derrick Rose part two, I should say. Um, and, and quickly, you know. So that is why it gets... But it's kind of, yeah, it's become a little bit of a trope. The Knicks need a point guard. The Knicks, like, when someone isn't saying the Knicks need everything, they're saying the Knicks need a point guard. Um, the biggest need is a star, like let's a star. And what does that star look like? To your point, if you're if you're under six five, you either have to be an elite pull up shooter, or um, like a crazy athlete. I think that that's and this is there's a great Stepien article on this. If a guy's under six five and doesn't one of those things, it's very tough to see them being like an all NBA level player. Is that fair to say? Sorry, can you say that again? Either has to if a guy is under six five, right? He has to be an all NBA caliber player. No, he he has to in order to be an all NBA caliber player, he has to either be an elite pull up shooter, volume and accuracy, or uh, an elite athlete. Yeah, I think that's like Van Fleet is close to that because he's an elite pull up shooter. Or you have a guy like Ja, uh, Trey Young is is that mold. Uh, I would say he is an elite pull up shooter, even if his three point. Accuracy isn't as great, like the volume and, and range. I mean, he, I is it crazy to say Trey Young is an elite pull up shooter? Uh, I would say he's very close. He gets guarded like one, so isn't that good enough? Yeah. Um, and then maybe at that point you say if you're that close and you're a trans, and he is a transcendent passer in my opinion. Um, maybe that gets you to it, but th- there isn't a guy like that in the draft right now for the Knicks. Um, those guys, like those are, it's just not a great bet to make. Um, and the last thing is, so if you're talking about just a guy who can be a point guard on a championship team, um, I think the Knicks have three pretty good bets there. Quickly has shown a lot. Deuce was drafted, uh, Deuce and Yokobitis were drafted. You know, they they have good size. They're not going to really be exploited on defense. All three can pass the ball. All three can shoot. Um, you know, and all three are, are you know, can, can be that guy, right? So you have that. So I think I agree with you on that. Um, you know, and if they're drafting in the twenties and they're still running out Alfred Payton, I'd probably have a different view. Like I think point guard would be a priority, right? The, the, what they need is a star, and that star bet is most likely to be a guy who's between six five and six ten, who can score at three levels, who can switch on defense. Um, like that's the biggest need they have. Um, period. Um, in terms of sp- specific skill sets. I just pulled this up. So the Knicks ranked 28th in, st- in turnovers forced per game. They ranked 27th in steals per 36. The only teams below them are Orlando, um, Dallas, which gets away with it because 
they installed a pretty good scheme, and uh, they obviously have one of the top three to four players in basketball. Um, is that too high, you think? Three to four for Luka? Uh, I don't think so, no. Yeah, so, uh, and then it's the Wizards. So, if you look at the top, you have Memphis, Toronto, Minnesota, Golden State, Phoenix, um, Charlotte, um, New Orleans. You have to go all the way to eight on that list, steals per 36, forced, um, to, to get a team that didn't make at least the plan, which is Portland. Um, and I think that like event generation, like it's not just Tibbs' scheme. It's also just the lack of event generators. That's why Cam was so interesting on defense when he played with that Deuce and Grimes lineup, because when they can, and I think guys like Deuce and Grimes at the point of attack and quickly, when they can do their job, it allows guys like Cam and RJ to freelance a little bit more or Obi, right? That's where, like, I think that we, like, it's so it's, I will say it is not just a question of getting those long wings. It is also a question of having good point of attack defenders. But I think the Knicks have, have stacked, have, have gone with those point of attack defenders. They have a guy in Jericho who can give them a different look. So I think, um, and I'll say the last thing I'll say is they have really good transition players. RJ, Obi, um, quickly really improved as the season went along in terms of especially finding Obi, but in general pushing the pace um, and, and finding the right guys. And their young players are really good. What's missing there is the ability to generate more transition opportunities. And I think that's a skill set they need more of. Uh, and that goes along. So that's defensive versatility, which I'll throw in. I'll also lump in kind of the, the Toronto, Boston-y, uh, Phoenix-type switchability thing, right? So defensive switchability versus how long athletes. That's third. Um, I think that, um, and, and just, yes, racking up two-way wings who can play two to four. Um, like that solves for that one and probably is your best chance of solving the first thing I mentioned, which is having a star. After that, I will say, yes, I will agree with you that they could use an upgrade from Mitch um, or at least the ability to to get more out of the center position, whether that's going five out, um, whether that's being able to do more with a short roll pass off a trap um, or whether that's being able to just catch the ball on a switch and be able to punish them, right? Um, because in, you know, the problems that I've talked about really showed up when the Knicks played young athletic teams, the lack of high level shot creation against teams that could switch, uh, the lack of ability to get out and transition and match those teams in speed, um, the lack of ability to, and then, yeah, like the lack of ability against a team like Miami, um, which maybe it's not a coincidence that the big comeback happened with Sims on the floor because, um, Miami loves to trap. And, you know, a lot of the times quickly got the blame for it when they were trapping him way out in his rookie season, but he would throw it to Todd or Mitch and, you know, they would have a four on three, but they're far from Draymond Green, right? Or Robert Williams. Um, Todd has actually gotten a little bit better, but I don't think you want to make your strategy. Let's rely on Todd Gibson going forward. Um, so those three needs come to mind in terms of a skill set, like the ability to go five out um, or, you know, the ability to like punish athletic defenses um, when, you know, your initial shot creation may not work or they have ways to, to force you into other things. Those three come to mind. I'm trying to think of something else. Um, but I think, you know, I think they have shooting on the roster. Um, they have they have solid shot creation. They just don't have star level shot creation. Um, and um, yeah, I, I would have mentioned three level scoring as a distinct skill set, but I think that falls under just the need for a star. So like, even if Malachi Branham is a, is a good three-level scorer. They will need a star um, next to him. Um, so you know, I think that those are those are some of the, the big needs. Are you ready for the NBA champs to be crowned? 
Join the finals action with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers can make any $5 NBA bet and get $150 in free bets instantly. Looking to turn another small bet into a big payday during the NBA Finals? With a DraftKings same-game parlay, you can do just that. This NBA season, a customer placed a $5 same-game parlay and won over $5,000. Create your own parlay by combining multiple bets like which team will win, total threes made, total rebounds, and more. And boom, you have a shot at an even bigger payout. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Make any $5 bet during the NBA Finals and get $150 in free bets instantly. That's promo code TBPN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. I broadly agree with all of that. I think, generally speaking, just athletic size is a need so like like i mean that's why i think cam is an interesting bet for them because he's a big dude uh and he moves really fluidly not necessarily an explosive athlete but like a very shifty one um and i think like that that's its own type of athleticism right like i actually wouldn't say the opposite of gr smith right (laughs) yeah yeah and i actually like i wouldn't say that Jason Tatum is necessarily he's a definitely a better vertical athlete than Cam, but I wouldn't necessarily describe him as like an explosive vertical athlete. I know he's had some really monstrous dunks, but like I don't view him particularly as like what comes to mind when I think of him is not wow, what about like what what a just his like ability to attack the rim. That's not really what I think makes him such a tough cover. I think the fact that at his size, the way he can kind of glide around um, and how he's so fluid, that's really what makes him a tough cover. And, like, I, I don't think Cam, I, Cam is not going to be Jason Tatum. Uh, hot take. But, like... It is a hot take to some people. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, but, like, that's... I, I see him athletically in a similar mold. Um, even if he's he's not the athlete Tatum is, but I think, like, the things that make them stand out as athletes are similar um but tatum is a better athlete but like yeah i think in general just more athleticism and size is like a big need and i guess like it'll it's i don't know what i don't think we still have the answer of like what do they view as the identity for the next competitive Knicks team and like I think it's an interesting idea because, like, they obviously have this very successful 2020-2021 season where, you know, 41-31, and 31, fourth seed in the East. Yes, they got smacked around in the first round, but, like, it felt like, okay, they, they found an identity, and now they just have to build out and add more talent around What would you it. have said that identity is? Uh, I think sorry. just competitive, hard-nosed defense, you know, grind it out every game. I think that's, like boring but it is an identity it is like a core okay this is what we are and now we have to add more talented pieces that fit into this mentality or this identity ethos however you want to put it and i think they had the right idea they had the they had the right idea with guys like fournier and um, kemba Kemba. like the, the idea is correct like okay we have this identity these are guys that give us more offensive firepower 
I think that's that was the right idea. What I think that they misidentified and probably did not appreciate enough, and my, myself included, not just they, but like how I evaluated these moves, is do they still fit into that core baseline foundation of like what you built of hard-nosed defensive team, uh, not really any easy mismatches to pick on uh, in any lineup that you put out there, right? And I think like as shitty as Alfred Payton was, like he wasn't like he's not like a he he's not a guy that like teams are just gonna hunt in ISOs, right? Like they didn't have a weak link like that in basically the entire rotation last year. Um, I guess you could say Obi, but like I I personally still don't think he's a guy that like gets mismatch hunted a shit ton. And actually, I, I what I would say is like I think he has a more more trouble with stronger big dudes than he does with switching out onto the perimeter. Surprisingly, I would say that that's what he's shown a lot more difficulty to do. Disagree. I mean, as Gallinari hunted him on every possession. Um, I don't. I know don't how. even remember that. In the, in the playoffs, yeah, that's part of why he couldn't play that much against Atlanta, even though I think he had a positive impact. But it was basically like him on an island with Gallinari never worked out well. I think last year he did improve. I think I like especially switching on the guards where he can like what he's best at is like hedging a pick and roll because Tibbs realized very astutely that. Obi is not a guy you want to play and drop, but let him run in a straight line, uh, and he has the length and athleticism. He can disrupt stuff. So I, I would say to that extent, I agree with what you're saying. But uh, in terms of on the perimeter, like he's still not someone I trust with the lateral agility to stick with. Um, you know, guys like Gallinari, or like you know, really versatile fours, or like super dangerous, um, you know, guards. Yeah, I mean that's fine. Whatever. I, I, I still think that like. If that is your weakest link, like he's a, if he's your weakest link defensively, that's probably a pretty good defense. Um, and that is like where I think they fucked up is they added two guys that instantly became their weakest links on defense. And that trickle down effect, especially given Julius's regression across the board, kind of resulted in the season falling off the rails. And yes, we can say Tibbs fucked up playing Kemba as much as he did and his rigidity and all these things, but like those personnel decisions were made by the front office. Um, and to some extent, uh, Tibbs is beholden to playing their players, uh, whatever. So I think like that is what the the identity of this team and like, I think if there is a path moving forward, it is to build something like one, if you're in the East, I think you need to be building towards, we've talked about this before, but like you need to have a team capable of slowing down guys like Giannis and Tatum and, you know, Embiid is his own thing. Like, I don't even know how to really, I don't think you can build a roster to address Joel Embiid. Um, so in that's the same, a good, that's a point of the favor of drafting Mark Williams. I'll say that if there's a guy who can give him trouble in this draft, yeah, it's yeah, probably the nine guy. foot nine standing reach guy. So. Right, and I think in general, like that's actually a reason I think Mark Williams is. I actually think he's somebody who has who would have a very positive impact against guys like he can help build a wall against Giannis. I think he is capable of deterring a player like Jason Tatum from attacking the rim. Um, whatever. I don't want to get back into Mark Williams too much, but yeah, anyway. But my point is, like, those are the, the guys that you're going to be competing with for the next four or five, six years. 
to get out of the East. So you need to have players capable of providing resistance against them or being able to hurt them offensively. Um, and the Knicks right now, like with what they did last offseason, are not in a terrible position. But I also think like none of these veterans, none of them, and like I like Burks, I like Rose, they're not going to be part of the Knicks whenever the Knicks are competitive. They're not going to be on that team. And so I don't really care about thinking about, you know, is if we drafted Malachi Branham, is he going to play next year? I don't really care. I think that's a stupid way to evaluate it. And like, yes, the front office has to like move guys out for him to get playing time and all this shit. But like, it's, it's one year we're talking about. Like if, if Malachi Branham only plays 500 minutes next year, because there's all this shit ahead of him. Yes, that kind of sucks. But like that's also gone in a year because Burks will be Burks expires. Like if if the Knicks make no moves, by the way, which I don't think it'll be the case this offseason. Burks, Rose, Noel, Todd all come off the books at the end of this year. And Fournier will be an expiring, so they could right. probably move him more easily next year. Right. So it's like I don't think it matters. I just think like all they they need to be thinking everything needs to be thinking about like two, three years down the line, is does this player help us, you know, in the, in the areas that we are deficient and that we need to address to be competitive against a Milwaukee with Giannis, against a Boston with Tatum and Brown, against... I mean, those to me are the two teams I would worry about in the East. I don't really care about... I'll be quite honest, like, I don't think Philly matters. Like, I, I don't see it. I don't see what you're competing with given their utter lack of athleticism and and they, I mean, they have a ticking time bomb in the fact that they're built around a 7 foot 280 guy who's 28 years old and has had injury issues so that's... and seemingly can never get into and through a playoffs without getting hurt I know this year he had it was like it was his hand right so it's not the same thing but it's yeah, just like face like it was some freak injuries but it always happens to him, right? It's like at some point, yes, it's a freak injury, but if it's always happening to you, then it's probably just something it, inherent I mean, in your place. that, he's 280 and has had lower body injuries in the past. Like, he had a back issue coming out of college too, right? Yeah, um, which is why he went third, even right. though people are comparing him to Kim Olajuwon. So, yeah, I'll never understand that, by the way. That was insane. That he went third? Or that he yeah. got compared? Oh, no, yeah. that he, like I didn't understand it. I'm like, even if... like the Because like, I, I never... I liked Wiggins as a prospect, but I didn't understand the like insane comp comparisons he was getting. Yeah. Whereas when you watched Kansas with Embiid, you were like, "Yeah, I can see it. Like, I get it. I definitely see why you would compare him to Hakeem Olajuwon." Yeah, um, and then and Par- Parker went second. That was probably even more egregious. I, I despised Parker as a prospect. I was like super low on him. Yeah, um, but He's, at minimum, he'll be Carmelo Anthony. Oh, okay. Okay, at minimum, he's going to be a fucking future first ballot Hall of Famer yeah. scoring machine. Cool. And I think I think the the good rule of thumb is like if a comp relies on someone becoming an outlier shot maker, or you're comparing them to an outlier shot maker, which Melo was right from mid range. Yeah. There's few that can touch him there. Um, Gift and a curse. It's it's like when someone gets compared to DeRozan, it's like like you, it's just tough to bet on someone shooting fifty two percent from mid range. Um, so and with that level of volume that, that DeRozan is able to pull up. So those are the cops that think just as a rule of thumb to be skeptical about. So that's why I hate when 
quickly gets compared to Steph or someone like that because like I think he's a pretty good prospect even if he isn't one of the like an elite shooter. Um, but getting back to what, so a couple of things you mentioned in terms of identity, I think they are starting to craft an identity. Um, the 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 first year's identity, I broadly agree with you on. Um, I think like there's also the fact that they had they wanted to revolve around one offensive hub. And I think they, they kind of had an idea that they can trade off a little bit on defense, um, rely more on Burks, and then continue to rely on Randall as that hub, but now you have better spacing for him. Um, and then you get Mitch back, so I think that, that was probably that with Mitch coming back, that's going to help tide over you know the Kemba and, and Fournier stuff. And it didn't, it didn't work out, even though they still finished with a respectable net rating. I think they were like 11th, uh, 11th in defensive rating. Um, so respectable finish, um, but not quite as elite. And I will say, like, I don't think they, like, the defensive, like, people were, like, replacing, like, playing Fournier and, and Kemba instead of Elf and Bullock is what sunk the Knicks defense. And I think it had more to do with three-point regression, which we were warned about by, you know, people like, like Seth Partnow and, and even Hollinger, um, as well as, you know, some injury issues, right? So I don't think they, they, they lost their defensive identity. I think the bigger thing I think that is kind of it's interesting to see and we'll see how it plays out is offense um, because they have one their starting unit did not have an offensive identity uh, beyond Julius Randle do something the bench did the younger players did um, the younger players when playing with not Julius Randle did I would say um, you know when they played with Burks when he played with quickly and, and Obi like he had a, I think he, Burks is actually pretty underrated chemistry with Obi. Um, he has limitations, obviously, when he's on ball. But, um, you know, like, their identity, I think, is play fast, space the floor, um, switch more on defense, and try to force turnovers. Um, something like the Hornets, but they obviously don't have a shot creator. Like, like that is the identity I saw them, and that their best moments, you know, whether it's that demolishing of the Clippers, you know, 36-4, to or whatever it was in that game, or, um, or the comeback against Miami. That's the identity I think they're starting to build. And I think it's an identity. Tibbs is good at coaching, but just seems to dislike coaching that identity. And therein lies the tension, right? Um, and it'll be interesting to see. Um, and I think that that is the identity you play when you have good young athletes who can shoot. And I think that's um, so that's the kind yeah. of player they should be targeting. Um, yeah, I think that to me is the identity. Like, I think, again, I hate doing this because it's like fuck them uh but like i do think something along the lines of what boston has built defensively as the identity is like what the knicks should be going for because boston doesn't play like some hyper aggressive scheme they don't you know they're not like necessarily generating a shit ton of turnovers but they are just like there is not an easy mismatch to hunt. And, like, look, I gotta say this. I saw a lot of, like, Peyton Pritchard, you know, they, the Warriors couldn't hunt him effectively, and he's this awesome defender now. Like, give me a fucking break. Like, he's not. Um, That's like, more about the Warriors than him. Yeah, I just think the Warriors... Like, this has been why I didn't think they would win. I thought Boston would win this series. Is like other Boston than was Steph, 14th in turnover force per game. Just FYI, yeah, so, so it's like an average-ish yeah. turnover force. Um, but like, the Warriors just don't have shot creation outside of Steph. Like, individual shot creation. I know Jordan Poole has taken steps, but like... Yeah, I'm Jordan, not going to react to game one, but that's... Yeah. 
against Boston, the, the threshold is higher. Yeah, and I like what I what I think is uh, this is my thought going into the series. So maybe it'll, we'll see how it plays out. But like Jordan Poole, in a lot of ways, and I I don't say this as like a a total insult. I say this more as like I think it's kind of funny. Uh, like J- Jalen Brown's gotten a lot of shit in the playoffs for uh, you know his lack of handle and he like kind of just drives into shit and none of it, you know, he just like, he doesn't have a plan when he drives, right. He just kind of like does shit. And I actually think Jordan pool is really similar in that sense. Like, I don't think he has a way better ball handler. Yeah. He's a way better ball handler for sure. I'm just saying like, he doesn't really have a plan. Like, and you could see it in that Boston game where he was like, it just like every time he was on the floor without Steph, and he had to run the offense. It was like, this is a team that's it, Boston's a very, it's a team that's very, it's like very, it's almost like, uh, it's his kryptonite in a way where it's like, the, their personnel is so uniquely suited to like, ex, uh, what do you call it? Um, I don't want to say exposing, but like, exacerbating the things that he struggles with, like his struggles currently as a player, which are not like. You know, relatively speaking, his struggles as a player leave him as a really fucking good player. Um, but like, I, yeah, I just think like it's it was funny to watch it because in my head I was just watching it. I'm like, yeah, so yeah, he's gonna have to slow down. Like, he has to actually play a little bit more. I think Kerr's done a good job of letting him like freelance and do his own thing outside of their ball movement system at times. Um, but I think in this series, he and the Warriors in general, if they're going to win, they need to stick with running their offense, running their system. And I thought they got away with that, got away from that during that fourth quarter. But that's also like, that's also something that the Celtics are great at, right? Because of everything they can switch, they it's tough to run like those kind of actions against them. Well, um, I, I, Miami I struggle with that too, right? So, but like I actually think Golden State. Did a great job of that in the fir- in the game in game one. I thought the what really hurt them is going away from that um, towards the end of the third quarter and into the fourth quarter. Obviously, Boston just was on fire too. So, like, you know, what are you gonna do? Like, that's just that 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 was its own thing. And I do think Boston or Golden State's gonna struggle defensively a lot in this series, especially if Draymond is just gonna. I'll be honest. I thought Draymond was fucking awful in Game One, um, and I think I'll be. You know, I, I think he's largely been unimpressive in this entire playoff run they've had on offense, on both ends. To be completely honest, I mean, he like, locked I, up Jokic. Not sorry, that's going far. I'm gonna get Jokic's army on me, but that was an incredible defensive performance. Yeah, I mean he he did a good job. Like Jokic still put up what thirty and fifteen on average or something on him. Like it if that's. Is but it a good, is the MVP and like yeah yeah I'm not Twitter, I, I, like, it's it's a it's a it's a, without a good him, job Jokic probably destroys them so but I think Jokic did destroy them like I think he did which is fine I'm, I'm not to the extent that they would have won but or, I I don't know I I I'm not or, sure I, I still think closer series than it was yeah I, I still think that has more to do with their offensive firepower in that series than what Draymond did on defense um but like I just think he's not been there like I thought he was terrible in the Memphis series. Uh, and I thought for the most part in the in the Dallas series he was like fine, but nothing impressive. And I thought game one, I mean the guy forget the defense, but like on offense he's not even looking at the fucking basket. He can't make fucking layups half the time now. I'm not really sure what the hell he's gonna do, but whatever. Um, 
I'm not even sure how the fuck we got here. But like, I think looking at Boston, you know, having these guys that can switch multiple positions and um, all that kind of stuff, like the Knicks are slowly building something like that. Um, like, if you want to say, I think Quickly is a better defender, but like, if you want to say Quickly is like their worst, it would be like the worst defender in this scenario of the rotation um, as like the Peyton Pritchard equivalent, sure. But like, that's kind of my point is like, I don't think Peyton Pritchard is a bad defender. I just wanted Quickly's to push back. a lot longer too. Yeah. I, I just wanted to push back on the idea that like Payne Pritchard now is some like lockdown defender. But like, it is a point in his favor that if Payton Pritchard is your worst defender, you're a pretty good defense, right? Like that's the the reality. And I think if the Knicks are in a position where like mismatch hunting quickly is the weakest link that exists in the rotation, they're probably in a very good advantageous position. And so like, I don't know how to necessarily do this, but my goal in, if I were the Knicks and I'm projecting out two, three years down the line, like the players that I would consider part of the core, or at least potentially part of the core, unless, you know, we were making a big star move is like RJ. It's quickly, it's OB, it's maybe Mitch. If they decide to keep Mitch, um, it's Grimes, you know, like it's these young guys, I, it's cam maybe to an extent, like those are the dudes. And it's like, if I'm building that out and I can put it in a position where like my two worst defenders would be quickly and, uh, Obi. And I, I hate saying this about quickly because I don't actually think, he, I think he's a really good defender, but as far as like just being under six, five in the playoffs, it's yeah, 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 exactly. Like if that is the position, like that's would be my goal in building out the roster. And, and like, that is a major reason why I think the Knicks should go wing in this draft because, you know, like, I think the worst defensive wing of the guys that'll probably be there at 11 is Branham. And, like, he's a baby. He's 18 or something. Like, he's going to fill out. He'll probably get better on defense. And, like, if you're just capable of being switchable and generally being legitimate wing size, you can usually be a plus defender in a cohesive system um, in the regular season and in the playoffs. So, like... I think Branham in time would probably get there. So I'm not that worried about it. But like, yeah, like I just think there's a lot of wings that fit into that idea of like, okay, this guy would not be our, like if you're not going to, if I can project you out as not being our worst defender of that group of young players we have, that is a, that, that is like the threshold. Any player I think has to clear um, for this team in the draft. So here's what I'll ask too. Uh, In terms of Pritchard getting hunted, how much of that is just Pritchard not being that bad a defender, and how much of that is because Boston's like help defense and wings and bigs are capable of of making his job easier, even in isolation? I think it's probably both. Like I, I I actually I will say that's the real benefit of to to me for wings, right? But go ahead, sorry. I will say this. I actually remember. Because earlier in the year, Pritchard wasn't in the rotation. And I thought that was weird because I actually liked Pritchard as a rookie. And I and his summer league, I mean, I know it's summer league, but like he was awesome at summer league. So I just figured, like, okay, this is a guy who had a good rookie year. Looks like he's developing, probably going to be a big part of the rotation. So I was surprised when he wasn't in the rotation really to start the year. Um, and I remember asking Prez before the deadline when he was 
not in the rotation really, like probably a month or two before. And I was like, would you trade the Dallas pick for Pritchard? And he was like, no, I wouldn't. And I think now, like, would you trade the Dallas pick for Pritchard if I was on the table? I would. Would you? No, not okay. who we have on the roster. Okay, but I don't. I don't like. I mean, would you take them over quickly? No, right? No, but I think you could play them together. I actually think they'd be awesome together. Maybe, but I. I'm not even like. I'm not giving. I'm a higher on Deuce, and I probably Yoko Bias than you are too. Maybe that's part of it. So yeah, I'm. I admittedly like. I if you are playing major minutes capably at consistently at an NBA level, like. I'm just going to value you over players who are still unknown to an extent. Like if Deuce became better than Pritchard, it wouldn't shock me. Um, and I think that was like, I think that was what Prez said too. Is like he likes Deuce better, which is a totally reasonable stance to have. I, I, I think again, there's outcomes where Deuce or Yokobitis would be better than Pritchard. I don't think like Pritchard is some amazing player, but I do think that he is. You know, if we're taking the Dallas pick as what, let's say. 20s. What? Yeah, twenty. Well, I think they're twenty second this year. Let's just use that. So if it's the twenty second pick in next year's draft, I feel like if you got a player that was as good as Pritchard, that would be a major hit. So, like what, to me, what, I would. But the other, trade. the counter also is Pritchard now is going into his third year. Um, is he going to be a, in his third year a more valuable trade option for a star uh, than the Dallas pick? Yeah, hundred percent. You think so? Easily. Yeah, the Dallas pick is. I don't think it has much value in terms of like, like I know people love next year's draft, so I'm not saying like that doesn't matter. Um, I'm just saying more like a pick in the twenties inherently is not seen as like a valuable trade chip for a star. But so before I say this, I obviously in no way would wish this to happen. But that Dallas team is one very specific injury away from. Um, that pick being in the lottery. Isn't that fair to say, too? Yeah, but it's top 10 protected, so... Wah, wah. Well, like, I mean, limited upside of pick. Like, maybe get under the teams, you know? Yeah, you could, but, like, you know... I just think, like, what generally... What it to? Sorry, if it, if it is... It, then it's top 10 protected in 2023 and 2024, and if it doesn't convey in 2024, then it's two second-round picks. The Knicks are going to get that first. It's going to be a first-round pick one of those two years at the minimum. Uh, barring some insane circumstance, like that we don't really want to talk about, right? Um, but, yeah, like, I, I don't want to lose the idea here. My, my point is more like, if the Knicks are in a position where quickly is the Pritchard equivalent on defense of, like, and I agree with you, he's a better defender, but, like, if he's your worst mismatch that for teams to hunt, that should be the threshold that the Knicks are trying to build out their identity from. Like, that should be the standard. And that's kind of, like, why... I'm not that interested in a player like Jalen Brunson um, because like, yes, I understand what he does for this team offensively, but like, I don't think he makes the Knicks a top 10 offense. I don't think he is a particularly impressive playmaking guard. Uh, I, I would, I just think the better bet is to build out from what you have and, try to add more size across the board, but particularly on the wing and at the guard positions. And like just looking at Boston, looking at Milwaukee, these are the teams that you want to be competing against. Like that is what they have, right? Like when Milwaukee has Middleton back, 
they're even like a player like Grayson Allen, who was terrible against Boston, but like he's a bigger guard, right? Like he's a bigger guard. Um, Drew is obviously a bigger guard. Wes Matthews, if he's still there, like they they have have pretty good size. And then Middleton is there, obviously Giannis, Brooke, Portis, like that's the rotation. Um, you know, I think that that's good size. I actually think they fucked up not keeping DiVincenzo because he fit into that also, like bigger guard, physical, good defender, good rebounder. They didn't want to rebounder. pay him, right? That was the issue. Yeah, they're cheap. That's their issue. Their their fucking owner is a piece of shit that doesn't want to pay luxury tax, um, and potentially because of that, um, cost them a championship in Giannis's prime. Good job, Mark Lazarship. Mark Lazary and something Edens, Wes Edens. Yeah, I only know. Yeah, well, uh, they're both finance bros. Um, but yeah, I just think that uh, like, and then obviously Boston we talked about, but Pritchard is. I mean, Pritchard is what six three. Like he's not small, really, right? Like he's that's the smallest guy they have, right? It's Pritchard, and then it's like Smart, Tatum, Brown, Horford, Robert Williams. I'm forgetting somebody. Oh, Grant Williams. Like, that's the rotation. That's all, like, bigger dudes. And, like, Pritchard is their smallest guy, and he's Steph's size, and I don't think Steph is small for a guard either. Like, he's the smallest you can be for a guard, is yeah. probably the best way to put it. I mean, Pritchard so, is, like, the short arms, too. Um, yeah, so, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I think I'm lower on his defense, and I think he has benefited more from, like, the fact that everyone else can help and stay on their man more than... But isn't that, like, that... But ultimately, that's that's kind of, like, my point, is if the if the sum of the Knicks' parts is like they can cover in those ways, then they're in a really good position. And then it's just about like, okay, do we have the offensive star to make this work? And I, I like I wonder what your thoughts on this because we were talking about this in the Discord a little bit, but like there's so much parody now in the NBA. Like I don't think so if let's say Boston wins this year, or even if Golden State wins this year, I don't think those teams would be at, they're definitely not as good as like the you know uh, KD Warriors teams, right? Obviously, they're not as good as the Miami LeBron Wade Bosch teams. And like there was this weird era from 2010 to 2020, kind of where it's like so many of those champions were these teams that had like second options that were first options. You know what I mean? Like KD was a second option, but he's a first option. And Dwayne Wade was a second option, but he's a first option. And I guess you could even argue, like, Bosch was a first option that became a third option. Like, these are teams that were so stacked that I think it skewed what the average title team's level is. And, like, this is not for me to for me shitting on Scottie Pippen, but, like, Scottie Pippen was Jordan's second option. And I think his playoff career high was 32 points. Right, like, yes, he was a really good distributor and ball handler and stuff, but like, he was not some like dynamic, super high scoring threat. I will say, ninety four, he did. He was like for a good playoff team that um, probably yeah, got screwed a little bit against us. No, they didn't get screwed. They fucking deserved it. And well, either way, they were. I mean, they were they were a contender that year, and he was their best player. So, um, but it's a, not. I get your main point. I agree with. So yeah. So I just I feel like. If you look at the Celtics, like, you know, throughout the playoffs, there's been this weird overreaction every time they lose, like, oh, see, Tatum's handle is super weak, and, like, he's not really built to be a number one, and Jalen Brown is not a great number two because of whatever, blah, 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 like, his crazy decision-making, weak handle, all this shit, but, like, I mean, they might win the championship, 
And I don't see the parody in NBA going away that much because of the lack of free agency, right? Like free agency is dead. We keep talking about this. So everything is about trades. And like that naturally means the star town of the league is going to be more spread out because player movement isn't as fluid. And so I just wonder if like, if we think RJ Barrett can achieve Jalen Brown level, right? And this is not easy. Like th- that, that is a big leap you'd have to make. And then, but if you are that, then like you're effectively finding that top end superstar caliber player away from having a championship contending level roster. And like that's the hardest part, obviously. But that is kind of like what my thinking is is like if you, if like you took, J- if you took Jason Tatum off the Celtics, how much better are they than the Knicks? Are they that much better? I don't think they are. I think they'd be better because Jalen Brown is the best player on the two teams. And I mean, didn't we split with they them? They have I, more established role playing story, but we rotation player talent, um, you know, because they've been together for a longer time and all these kind of things. But like, yeah, yeah, like I just I don't think the gap between those teams would be that significant, right? Yeah, I mean, we split the season series, didn't we? Yeah, we did. Um, yeah, so, um, you know, I think I would agree with that. Um, but I mean, that is like, that's, that's the hard part, the obviously. Yeah. And they, and I think, but the like, I guess my, is, yeah, so go ahead. Uh, no, no, go ahead, go ahead. I mean, that's like that, that it comes back to the biggest need is a star, and most likely it has to be a star wing. So I, I would say, like, it's not even a star, it's a superstar. Like, that's the biggest need. Like, because I, I personally, I think RJ will get to some. If Jalen Brown's he, a star, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. yeah. Like, I don't think, I don't think R, RJ's not going to be a star in the same way Jalen Brown is a star. It's going to be a different output and how his process and all these things. But like, I think he gets to that level of player. And can the Knicks find a superstar? And that's why I think this draft is interesting because like, I don't, look, you're drafting 11th. The odds are you're not going to find a superstar there, right? Like, that's just the reality. You know, yes, I know Giannis, I know Kawhi, Butler. We can go through the outliers that exist, but like, odds are you're not going to get a superstar. But like, there are bets on the board that I like to that extent where like the upside could be there. Um, I was, had a few beers yesterday, uh, and I, revealed my extreme love for Jalen Williams where I think like and I, I definitely misspoke because they're different size of players but like a level of like can he achieve a Paul George level of play offensively especially I think yes um is that likely like what is what Bob is your take here love it what yes what is what is the odds of that though like I don't know like I I would probably put it at like 10 percent something like that like it's not great but like I'd when, smaller than, i think for any prospect there are better prospects who i like i wouldn't put ivy at 10 percent for getting like paul george is a high level outcome yeah i i don't know how to like i, I don't know what the, how how to put the percentage at but like it's not a great percentage no matter what right like whatever it is but being, you'd say higher than outlier you wouldn't call that an outlier outcome uh i how about this was paul george has his outcome now what was that for him as a prospect 
Like what percentile? Outcome Pretty low. He was the what eighth pick, tenth pick, tenth pick, I think. Yeah, yeah. So like, I'm saying like, but what do you think? Was this like his ninety percent? I didn't follow the draft that closely back then, but I would imagine if he like went tenth percentile, something, like it's less than that. It would have been like ninety fifth percentile or something like that. So. Okay, so I'll I think that if Jay, so that like to me, Jalen Williams's ninety fifth percentile outcome is like being this type of all-star, all-around scoring, offensive machine type of wing. I think a lot of these wings, like, I don't love Malachi Branham, but if you told me his 95th percentile outcome is Chris Middleton or something like that, I don't think that's crazy. Like, I think that that's, yeah. yes, that would that would be his 95th percentile outcome. Like, yes, that's a star. So, like, and this is why I think taking a wing over the center makes more sense, right? Like, if you need to win on an like you the Knicks need to hit on an outlier at some point, be it in the draft or you know that's why Randall's regression really sucks because you thought like that was their kind of outlier hit they had, um, but like they need to hit on an outlier and like to me a guy like Jalen Williams has tools and skills that he's developed that like profile really well into potentially being that type of outlier. Um, I'm like I said, I'm not as high on Branham as you and others are, but like there is that outlier outcome for him, right? And those two very specifically in that range, I think have those outlier outcomes that I don't know how to put this like they're outlier outcomes that I feel could are realistic. Be more it's not like suggesting Kevin Knox could be Paul George. Right. Like, like there is a path for me where I see those guys getting that. And I think another guy who I'm, I'm not as high on him as you are, because I think you have him a tier above, but like Johnny Davis is another one when like, like, I I think I said the surprise, but like there's something about his game that is a little bit Brandon Roy-ish to me. Um, Devin Booker-ish, I guess maybe is a better one, more modern comparison where it's like, yes, the usage was insane and his efficiency sucked, but like the shot making talent is very real and the shot creation, space creation, however you want to put it, that stuff is legit. Like I I do think there is a potential star outcome for him also. So like those three guys, I like Brandon the least. I think his floor is also the lowest, Um, but like those three guys are probably going to be there for the next at 11. I think Davis is going to be there at 11. He's the one that's most likely to not. Um, but, like, uh, those guys are really interesting. I don't know what you think about Dyson Daniels. Probably won't be there at 11. I'm not as high on Sohan. I love Tari Eason. He's another guy who I think has a star potential upside, like, outlier, sure. But same deal. And I actually, I don't think the Knicks will draft him because the pull-up shooting thing that they're obsessed with doesn't exist with him. I think he is probably the best star bet outside of the top 10 in this draft. Eason? Uh, yeah, I think he's got so many avenues uh, to get to a star star level. Yeah, I mean, I would. Ag- there is another guy I'll mention in a bit who I think could give Caleb you- Houston? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, man. Um, no, the... Um, so I, I agree with that largely. Um, I will say, um, you know, in terms of the, in terms of, so Williams turning into a Paul George, I understand like you're talking about impact. 
Yeah, it's and like I like I. It's hard to phrase what I mean by that. Where it's like obviously anybody becoming Paul George is like not likely. It's just there is a world where I'm like I can see that. Is it and conceivable? Can, yeah. yeah, inconceivable. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So um. I'll so what I'll say is this with Williams why I'm I'm probably leaning towards putting him over Branham is what I mentioned before is like if a prospect if your ceiling outcome for the like Middleton is mentioned a lot for Branham right but Middleton relies on very difficult shot making right um yeah. and if Branham does like hit, like like outlier even for NBA player shot shot making yeah. crazy shot making yeah. and and that's not to say Middleton doesn't do other things well um he's a solid defender I think Branham like the length and that kind of thing but Middleton, that wasn't an insane shot maker, is probably a role player, right? Um, with with some with some ability to get his own bucket, but like not a guy who is relied on like a star. Um, and so if Branham doesn't hit that shot making outcome, which he's shown some potential, but you know that that's tough. Whereas, like, so shot making is a little bit elite shot making can be difficult to see translate. Um, space creation isn't, and that's the advantage Williams has. Um, I know there are people that aren't as high on his burst, but I think he has, like, the combination of good burst and good strength can do enough for you. Um, I've mentioned this a few times. I think in terms of his play style, there's, like, shades of Luka Doncic there. Uh, he's a very creative passer. Um, you know, he can, because of his strength, like, if you try to, you know, if you try to wall up and, you know, we've all played, if you play basketball, you understand, like, even if you're pretty strong, if you kind of try to brace yourself for impact and then someone hits you with a spin move or goes by you, or has the you know ability to, to shake you, that's tough to defend both of those things at the same time. That's that's how I saw a lot of his creation coming as opposed to blow-bys. I think that can translate. Um, and his athleticism might have been a little bit understated. I mean, he had the vert. Uh, I know there's a lot of people who are like, you know, yeah, like on tape it doesn't pop. I think on defense he gets off the floor pretty well for blocks. Um, and so... The argument in your so one guy who's been a bit of a Jalen Williams skeptic on Twitter is, um, and I think he's made some very good arguments is CJ Marchesani, who by the way does a ton of excellent work on the draft. Um, you should definitely follow him if you're into the draft. But the two things he was saying is like you know for for upperclassmen wings like box plus minus like is generally a solid predictor, and um, Williams was at six which is solid, not great. Um. And so his level of defensive impact, given his length, was a little bit not as great as he'd want. And that is part the way part of what makes Paul George a star. But the other thing he said today that kind of like to me was like, eh, I don't know. He said, um, you know, like Williams is a guy that relies. I don't think he's a great off ball offensive player. And he relies a lot on the kind of on soaking up isolation usage and pick and roll usage that you probably won't get in the NBA. And I'm like, that's the thing, right? Like to your point, right? If you're making a big bet. Don't think of, well, can he succeed off the ball or can he succeed as a role player? Like, let's get crazy. Let's say we did give him a heavy diet. Let's say we let him of uh, uh, pick and roll in isolation possessions. Um, and, you know, if he had the decision-making to make it work, uh, which he's shown that, what does that look like? And that could look like a star. So he's a good star bet because of that skill level. Um, why I think I would prefer a guy like um, Johnny Davis um, is the fact that um, I think Johnny Davis is slightly better athlete. Um, I think that in terms of the identity you described, there is. Do you think? Do you think? Jalen is more fluid than Johnny. No. Um, okay. okay. It's, it shows up especially on defense. Um, like okay. watch, not the sexiest thing, but watch 
uh, Davis get around screens. Uh, Prez has put up a couple of insane clips. He looks like Mr. Fantastic getting around stuff. Um, so, and I think that shows up on offense too. Um, Wisconsin spacing was absolutely crap and they won the Big Ten. I didn't think that team had any business winning the Big Ten. Uh, I think you mentioned this too. That matters a lot. And I agree. Um, so that's, so that's part of it. And then I think in terms of what you're talking about with the identity, which I do think matters, um, Johnny Davis checks so many boxes. A player who, sophomore who improved tremendously to his second mm-hmm. year, impacted winning, motor, elite motor on defense, kind of that just in the same, just like Grimes or quickly or, or Deuce. Um, and then, yeah, like, like he's also like a guy who can go get you a bucket, which Tibbs will like, you know, you know, as, as a fallback. <laughs> um, but um, Tibbs is a super creative fourth quarter off. Well, Tibbs will like that as his first, second, and third option. But <laughs> if he is begrudgingly forced to lean into like the fun ball movement things that the young guys are predicated towards, um, this will be a nice consolation prize. But I think Davis has that level of star upside too. I think Booker is a guy he's mentioned that he patterns his game above around. Again, the same thing applies though, right? Booker is a guy who hit that outcome because of elite shot making, particularly for mid range. And and something that Ace and Prez have talked about with Booker very specifically is like, it's not just tough shot making. It's also like he changes his release point based on where he is on the floor. So like higher release point in mid range yeah. um, is like a that's like a big thing. And which a lot of players do. Steph is very yeah. famous for that. So yeah, Steph is and and actually like I think that's something quickly was working on this year. Yeah. Um, which is why, like, some of his mid-range misses are super ugly, but they're good to me because it's like it's because he's working on a different release point than what he does from three, right? So, um, it's it's a good it's good development. That's like you can he's he's identified the correct thing to work on to add a mid-range element to his game. Trey Trey actually has gotten a lot better in the mid-range too because of this uh, higher release point. Yeah. Um... And so, but again, another thing is, if he doesn't hit the insane shot making outcome, what is what is Davis? And that's probably a high usage, good. It's something like Dylan Brooks, I think. Um, so that's another thing where I don't think Jalen Williams does will have to rely so much on high level shot making because of his strength. Because I think his space creation is a little bit better than Johnny's, so that would be a, a plus in his favor. But I think why I would still take. Ease in over certainly Jalen Williams. I'd have to think hard about Davis. Probably not over Johnny Davis. Is um, you said it yourself. The Knicks need to get bigger and more athletic. Um, and he gives he has star upside, and he gives you that. Uh, I mean, he just watched. He pops off the film, right? Um, and I know there's concerns. Doesn't go left. Um, you know, prone to error prone in defense. But like he's processing mistake, and he's turnover prone, right? But I think a lot of his turnovers have less to do like the Julius Randle just deer in the headlights, can't make a decision quickly. They more often have to do with trying to do too much, trying to be too ambitious, mm-hmm. which is not the worst thing for a player to have. Um, and I think his handle improved. So, and like the flashes of crossovers and ball handling moves, like you can see why Prez likes them. Um, you know, that, that's easy to me. I think you're, you're pretty correct in saying he's a great star bet. And then the other guy I'll mention. Um, is Usman Dieng. Um, if we are in this belief that the Knicks don't need a guy who needs to contribute for one or maybe even two years. Not even that. It's also, it's also like they also... The front office cannot care. They should not care about what 
Tibbs's usage of the player will be, they need to pick the best prospect available to them. You know what I mean? Like, they can't get lost. Well, we can't pick this guy because Tibbs isn't going to play him much. Like, okay, Tibbs, Tibbs loved Grimes and Deuce. And, Bar- like, he needed, you know, fucking injuries to hit to put Grimes in. And he never really found minutes for Deuce, even though it should have been pretty easy the second half of the year. But, yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, no, you're absolutely right. So, um, and I also think a lot of people are like, well, it's going to hurt their development if they don't play. So just so that's the argument for draft someone with an easy path to minutes, which is probably the five. Um, very, very famously, Jordan Poole uh, didn't develop because Poole Maxi barely played as a rookie. Yeah. Um. I mean, there's lots of there's lots of players. Jimmy Butler played eight minutes a game. Did Middleton um, even like what did he do in the rookie season? I don't, I don't know, know. Right. Yeah. Uh. And Jimmy Butler is an especially relevant comp because he was an older rookie who played for a certain coach that uh, that we're talking about. So, um. So I don't think there's really that much... Imp- like, do we want them to get more in-game reps? Sure. I don't think there's evidence that it really hurts players. Um, because they probably not get more out of... Anyway. Yeah, yeah. Not long-term anyway. Not long-term anyway. Yeah, it probably... It, like, experience helps. I think when you're Jordan Poole and you're being asked to create... Um, be the lead guard, you know, pl- during... For f- stretches during a playoff series. Yeah, I wish he had more reps, right? But I think that's going to happen every player. Um, you know, RJ had his first playoff series moment. That kind of thing. Um, but, um, you know, so reps help there, but there, I mean, most of what's happening is the stuff you don't see, right? The work that's being put in there. Um, the magic is in the work. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> so, um, so Usman Dieng, I don't know if you've watched a ton of his clips. I have not. Um, so what stands out? So he's not the athlete Eason is, but he is probably a legitimate 6'10", um, with long arms, probably seven foot plus wingspan. Um, uh, the defense was very inconsistent because he's young. But, you know, he, he did show the ability to switch, um, some nice off-ball moments, uh, mixed in with some rough stuff, uh, but has good feel for the game. He legitimately can run, pick, and roll at 6'10", uh, has a nice floater game, um, probably can get to the rim more, but, um, but showed that driving ability, and his shooting percentages were bad. But you watch him pull up, and he has that pull-up game. Like, he has the skill set where you can, like, it's not something where you're looking at um, you know, a guy who like is six ten and runs point a little bit, but like his form looks better than like Scotty Barnes's did, uh, and Scotty Barnes had, had poor shooting numbers too. So, um, do I am I saying he's going to be that good? No, but he's a he is legitimately a six ten bet, and maybe a guy who can be a wing creator. And if that hits, then you are talking about that Paul George type of player. And I actually think, in terms of the likelihood of him hitting that, I would probably put him above Jalen Williams, or even not Johnny Davis. I think Johnny Davis's likelihood to hit that kind of outcome just because of, of everything we talked about with the burst, the, um, the savvy, the work ethic, um, the underrated athleticism is a little bit higher, but, um, but Dieng's ceiling is probably the highest out of anyone we've talked about besides maybe Eason. So, um, in my yeah. opinion. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's fair. Um, I admittedly do not have, a feel for him as a prospect. Um, I know Prez wrote a really good piece on him. That was excellent, which is probably like the, that's the sum of my knowledge of Usman Jang. So definitely an interesting player. Um, I don't know if the Knicks would go for him given, I don't want to say raw. I think that's the wrong word to use, but like, I think the pull up shooting stuff with him is like really good flashes. I'm not sure that 
it's at the level where everybody is going to view it as like that'll be definitely a thing that he's good at you know what i mean um one thing i will say this like one of the reasons i'm like super high on jalen williams prez posted this uh i think he put it in an article or on a tweet or whatever um but he posted uh kind of like a spreadsheet listing a bunch of wings and guards uh their how many pick and roll ball handler possessions they had uh the percentile that they finished in uh according to synergy and how many they averaged per 36 uh jalen williams so the the list was jalen williams malachi i'm gonna send it to you right now i know you already seen it but yeah uh the list is jalen williams malachi brandon johnny davis Jaden ivy alondis williams Wesley Matthews, or not Wesley Matthews, Blake Wesley, uh, and <laughs> Benedict Matherin. Um, I was disappointed, by the way, when uh, I found out uh, Blake Wesley was not related to David Wesley. <laughs> Maybe he's related to William Wesley. Uh, we, we have our pick, guys. So. There we go. Uh, Jalen Williams averaged by far the most. Other Him and Blake Wesley averaged the most pick-and-roll uh, possessions per 36. Jalen Williams had the most. The difference between Jalen Williams and Blake Wesley is Jalen Williams or Blake Wesley finished in the seventy-second percentile, which is pretty good. But he's actually like a really bad scorer at the rim, I believe. His touch is off. Um, I don't know. I've he can't. Him. His touch is off. Um, and so, even though he's a really good athlete, um, you know, yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. Do you trust his athleticism or do you trust his touch? You know. Yeah. And so he was at 72nd percentile. That was in 11 pick-and-roll possessions per 36. Jalen Williams finished in the 89th percentile at 11 pick-and-roll possessions per 36, which is insane. Uh, He also ran 352 pick-and-rolls as a ball handler this past season, which is by far the most on this list. For comparison's sake, uh, Johnny Davis, whose usage was astronomical, only had 237 pick-and-roll ball handler possessions total. Uh, he averaged eight per thirty-six. He actually was the worst of the bunch, which I'm not sure what to make of that because, again, we've talked about this, but like his team was his bad. workload. Yeah, his workload. The team he's on was really, really bad. But he's fifty-second percentile, by far the lowest on the list. Malachi Branham actually grades out well here, which is why I think, even though I'm lower on him, I will admittedly say like I understand the star bet outcome that people believe in. With he's him. underrated uh, as a too. Like everyone talks about the ISO and the shot creation, but like. Watching him even pass out of the post after a season of watching Julius Randle and like the quickness and his ability to anticipate, like that's um, he's pretty good at that. Yeah. Uh, so he was 182 possessions total. So that's like half of Jalen Williams, just for some context. 6.9, a very nice uh, pick and roll possessions per 36. But he finished in the 94th percentile. So like when we're talking about star outcomes, outliers, guys that can outplay their draft slot to a high degree. Like that's kind of why I get it. Like why I believe in Jalen Williams. And while, even if I don't believe, believe it with Malachi Branham, I understand and think that there is that, that potential for him. So like, you know, what does that mean for the Knicks? Like, I don't know. I just think if you're telling me at 11, both those guys are on the board. I, I I really think like, I don't know. Jalen Williams to me, I continue to see him being mocked in like the late teens at the earliest, but mostly usually in the early twenties. I just feel like either take him at 11 or find a way to get a second pick and get him. Like if you're not going to take him at 11, because I just think that 
or Branham, whatever the fuck. I just think you need to come out of the draft with one of these guys that we've talked about, one of those two, or Johnny Davis, or uh, Tari Eason, or if you think Usman Jang is that guy, like one of these guys who has that potential to be a star-level outcome. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. Um, in terms of, we can talk about the specific guys. Um, that's also why I'm not a big fan of drafting a big. Um, so uh, you met, this is, uh, you know, it's a good chart. I think there's an isolation chart that Prez made about the same guys. I think Jalen Williams graded out pretty well there too. I'm sure his handle is like for his size, the craft he already has in terms of his handle and his footwork. Uh, I honestly like he's. There's a reason I, I brought up Luca. Like, obviously, I don't think he's going to be that good, but there I are do. minimum minimum <laughs> level. There are there are elements of his game in terms of handle, strength, um, making up for maybe not elite burst. Um, so like he did. You he think did he has better burst than RJ? It's probably similar, I would say. Okay. Yeah, I think. I don't think his burst. I think his burst is similar, but like. He has better handle. fluidity with his handle, so yeah, I think it actually, goes I'll say if RJ's burst is better. Like RJ does have a good first step and really good second and third steps, and he takes those long strides. Uh, it's just yeah, to your point, the fluidity. Like Jalen has, Prez's favorite word, wiggle. Um, so, but Prez's Prez's wiggle Twitter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, no, Prez hates that word when you use about prospects. <laughs> he hates wiggle. Um, do you have to. You do have to include some context here. Um, Williams did face a worse level of competition. I do think it was underrated. I think they had four tournament teams come out of um, the, the the Mountain West, uh, and obviously the the number one team for most of the season, Gonzaga. But um, Davis did played in the Big Ten, and 52nd percentile isn't great for pick and roll, but it does matter that the spacing was poor. Didn't really have any elite finishers to play with. Um, so I think those things have to be taken into account. Um, and so, like, you know, if you count for level of luck, like, I think Ivy Ivy looks great. Alondis Williams is better than expected. Um, so I think that those things do matter when you're specifically talking about Jalen Williams. The reason why he's still mocked later in the teens or 20s is because if he, does, if he doesn't become the guy who can absorb that pick-and-roll usage, um, you know, like, he has great length. Uh, and the length and shooting ability probably allows him to stick as a rotation player, even if he doesn't hit the star outcome. But, um, you know, like the defense wasn't great. Um, I think part of that is because he was often asked to guard point guards and shooting guards. And like his lateral quickness, especially on defense, isn't great. Like if he's guarding threes and fours, I think he'll be pretty good. Um, like because of his, like his standing reach is basically the same as like a four. And he's obviously strong. So, um, I think that that floor outcome is still higher than a lot of people who have him lower are saying. But I will say that when you're talking about these numbers, you do have to account for that context where he did have kind of a lower level of competition. So, um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the level of competition with Jalen is definitely a valid thing to think about. Um, I will say, like, what I've seen of him in the games against Gonzaga. Yeah. And that's like, where he, he destroyed Chet <laughs> memorably. So. Yeah. yeah, and I think like he just looked... His shooting wasn't great in either of the games. I think he went 6 of 16 in one, and then maybe 7 of 17 or something like that in the other. But he got to the line a pretty good amount. Um, and he just didn't look like phased. Like he... Especially like... I, I 
Johnny Davis was like the, you know, he was the focus of every team's defense that they faced, like to an insane degree. I don't think people really understand it unless they, if you've watched a few Wisconsin games, like it's crazy. Which I don't blame you for not doing. Yeah, don't watch actually. Just trust us. Um, but like, I think Jalen Williams in those Gonzaga games, from what I saw, like they were very focused on him. And I just thought the way he handled that. And I, I mean, look, like, the thing that really is spectacular to me about him, more than more so than the shot making, is like the touch and the and the kind of like variety of passes he can throw with either hand yeah. are just wild. Like like so impressive. And you know, you talk about how to unlock this team, what kind of talent can unlock this team. His outlet passing, like pushing the ball in transition, all that stuff, like that is something this team just needs more. They need more guys capable of pushing the pace. And I know RJ pushes the pace when he brings the ball up at times, but like, I don't think he has great vision in terms of seeing the floor ahead of him and passing guys open quickly does quickly actually has shown a lot of that, but like, that's one guy, you know, like that's not enough. Like, I think that is something that Jalen Williams would bring to the table. Like you talk about how can we maximize Obi? I promise you a guy like Jalen Williams will he would walk into he'd be the best passer on the team at the minute and I think Obi would like him and Obi would instantly have a a connection like they they would play off each other so well so to me I just look at it and I'm like like you like Branham is a good passer but like I really think the level of passer that Jalen Williams is is how many guys in this draft are a better passer than him like I really think it's Alondis. Um, Alondis, I would put above him. Um, I'm not going to say Chet, but I do think his passing doesn't get talked about enough. Um, like but, I think he's a better passer than Jaden Ivy. Yeah, that's that's. Um, and I love Jaden Ivy, but like I think he's a better passer than Jaden. Better Ivey. passer than Branham. Um, Nikola Jovic and Usman Dieng are pretty good passers. They probably deserve. But yeah, I mean, Jalen Williams is an argument. I think. Yeah. And it's just like, I just think, you know, one of the things we talk about with the Knicks all the time is like, not enough ball movement. And I don't think it's, sometimes like, we talk about the lack of ball movement without, like, some of that's just about not having the great passing talent, like not having the eye, the ability to make passes. And he would bring that, he would add that to the mix. And like, that is just something this team, the team needs more playmakers it needs more creative class passers ball handlers like he's just a guy for me that i think i don't know at 11 i, I would be very happy to take him again like i i don't think i can reiterate it enough i i fundamentally do not understand how he's not being viewed as like a lottery pick potential um that's just me though like i and again i have admittedly like kind of not done a very extensive look into this draft class. I just have picked like guys that I think will be available where the Knicks are. And of that group of wings, like he's just the one that given all of the skills he has and what he flashes at his size, his measurables, all that stuff. Um, I, I think he's probably the best bet of that group. Tari's like, I know he's a wing, but he's different. He's a three, four, five, maybe four or five, actually like it's just a different dude. So, I think Tari's the best star bet, but of the wings, two three type wings, like I think it's it's Jalen pretty comfortably for me. Yeah, I mean I think that um 
he just he has to hit a high outcome, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there are questions about can he play like he. I think throwing guys open and that kind of thing, that vision is very impressive. There's a clip earlier today where he drove baseline um, and yeah, did like a yep. wrap around left handed pass. Yeah, I just saw it. Yeah, um, which besides what quickly was doing in the second half of the season, yeah, to your point, we don't really have guys that can do that. Although I will say. I'll push back and say that at least in terms of pick and roll live dribble passing, I I do like RJ's skill set there. Yeah, yeah, they're very good. Uh, like I actually, one of the things corner. that pisses me off with him in the pick and roll is like he, and this was a thing going back with him to Duke is like he pre decides what he's going to do sometimes. So like he already has it in his head he's going to shoot, and so that's why I think he gets stuffed a lot of times is because like he's already decided what he's going to do instead of reading what the defense is giving him. But when he reads the floor out of the pick and roll instead of just deciding, like his vision and he has the ability to make passes with both hands. Um, he has the ability to throw really nice lobs off the dribble, which is like a very hard thing to do. Uh, like his touch and stuff. Like for as weird and inconsistent to be generous as his touch is at the rim, his touch on passing is actually really fucking good. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I mean, I think you're making a pretty good case. Um, I think if he was more impactful as a defender, if he was younger, and if he played a higher level of competition, and these might be artificial constraints. Um, there, 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 there are reasons why I think he will be available at to at eleven, or maybe even yeah. And the Knicks, 15, obs- 16, 17, the Knicks obsession with winning every trade probably means they'll try to trade down. Like if he's their guy, mm-hmm. um, I still don't think that. Like I think I can make a lot of the same arguments for Eason. I still think Eason has a higher ceiling. Yeah, I think he does too. Um, I think Dieng is a guy who potentially does a lot of a lot of similar things. Um, and his shooting isn't at Williams' level, but Jalen Williams is shooting. You know, took some time to 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 come to fruition too. So, um, like I don't think I. I mean, I've watched him play. So the when you watch when you watch Jalen Williams shoot, like he has deep range and all of that. Um, and so I, I buy the shot, but it's worth noting that the volume wasn't. That high, he took five threes per thirty-six and hit it at forty percent. Um, a lot of them were pull-ups, but um, you know those are the kinds of things where it's like, can you pro- like you are projecting that he's that's just going to transfer over to a higher level of competition, uh, a bigger leap than I think a lot of other prospects. When you are talking about the star bet, but you watch the film and there's a lot to like. Um, and I personally think I have him. I think like thirteen or fourteen on my board. Um, Who's this? Is Jalen? Jalen, yeah, yeah. So um I you know I'm I'm with you there. Yeah. Um all right, uh last thing before we get out of here. Uh I was thinking about um like so if you look at the draft and I'm curious about what you think cuz I have no I really have no idea of this. We talked about the Dallas pick earlier. Let's just say we can use the baseline of they they had the 22nd pick this year. Let's say that's the baseline for most likely where that pick is going to be, right? Do you... Okay, so I don't know how to phrase this exactly. What level... The 22nd pick in next year's draft, what level of talent is that in comparison to this year's draft? Oh, sorry. Um, um, my my answer to that. I, I mean, I haven't done enough research on the twenty twenty three draft. I know that at the top, there's a lot of there's like probably at least five guys that would have a case for going number one. 
Um, there's one, I mean, I think Scoot Henderson or, um, or, um, or Victor Ramanyama go number one period. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that Amen Thompson probably has a strong case. Um, and there's a few others too. Um, but how does that trickle down? Um, and it's worth noting, there's been other drafts where we have like 2020 or 2021 was supposed to be the draft of a million high-level wing creators, right? Um, and then it didn't quite pan out to that level. Um, mm-hmm. Brandon Boston, who I still expect to be good, and I was impressed when I watched him play this year, um, you know, like needed a lot of work. He was a project much more than you know, people saw him at 6'7", six, 6'8", six, creating in high school. Uh, but there was there was a lot of maturity needed to his game, and to his credit, I think he's he's taken he's made the right progress, but wasn't quite as high a prospect as initially thought. Zaire Williams um, ended up going, I think, pretty high anyway. But the level of that, so a lot of the same things were being said about that class, right? In terms of just all these freakish creators, and so we should keep in mind that things can change. Um, I don't think they're really going to change for Victor or scoot much but uh some of these guys who are going to play d1 and, and and have some adjustment periods we'll see that um but as far as how how high is the 22nd the 26th pick in next year's draft um i would i think in general i think drafts have been deeper and better for the for some time now i think that's a trend um because scouting is improving because i think player development is improving because i think guys are making better decisions on when to come back and when to stay um because I think that, um, and that's just, that's not basically, by the way, that's not saying that um, college is necessarily a better place to develop than the pros, but, you know, depending on what team you might go to or what context, you might, you know, the devil, you know, may be a little bit better for another year at times. Mm-hmm. Um, could be, I, I mean, I don't, I don't have the answer, but I think drafts in general have been getting deeper and better. So um, I don't know what value I would equate it to, but I think that a pick is more valuable ultimately than. Um, than a role player, uh, even if, even in the second half of the first round, for most teams. Um, so, yeah. So, I guess my question then is like, if the talent at the back end of this draft isn't that far off of the talent at the back end of next year's draft, I feel like it almost might be worth it for the Knicks to trade back in this year. Um, just because there is like a lot of good depth, as you said. Um, I don't know that I would say that. I, I think that there's an argument for spacing your contracts out, right? Um, they're gonna have to play RJ. Um, you know, quickly will probably earn double digits on a second deal. If he takes a leap like Pool or something, then you're talking about twenty bit plus. Um. Uh, Reddish, if they decide to keep, they're going to have to pay next year. Obi's the same year as quickly. So there is something to be said, I think, about spacing your rookie deals out a little bit more. Um, so, But if there's a guy they really like in this year's draft, you know, let's say Jalen Williams does fall, or let's say they feel like they do want a big, but they want to trade back in the first and take Christian Coloco. Or they love Alondis Williams as, like, the bigger... We talked... He's another guy, I think, who... Um, you know, you can play him with quickly six five. He's not going to get hunted on defense. Adds another dimension as a passer playmaker. Um, you know, it, it's more. I think it just comes down to their individual scouting and if there's a guy they feel they like. But just as a heuristic, I would say I prefer to keep the future pick. 
not just because you have it gives you more flexibility, you know, with the stepping rule and all of that, as well as making trades. But also, like, even if they just want to keep on adding rookies, um, probably helps to space out when you have to pay them. Yep. Word. All right. Uh, I think that's a good place to end it. Uh, Stacy, let the people know where they can find you and plug anything you'd like to plug. Uh, yeah, you can find me at Stacy Patton eighty nine. Um, in terms of plugging, I've done a couple of pods recently that you may be interested in. If you this wasn't enough draft talk for you, um, I did a pod with uh, Chris Persianen, um uh, for Next Film School on draft um, on, on the draft. Um, so you can check that out. Um, follow Chris as well. I'm sure most of you already are if you're following me. And um, the other one I'll plug is uh, I did the Mixed State of Mind podcast with uh, the great Chip Murphy and Danny Small. That was a really fun convo, too. We talked a little bit more about bigs there. Um, and, um, yeah, just uh, just a lot of great draft content coming out, and it's an exciting and fun time. Awesome, man. Uh, I will check out that pod that you were on with uh, Chris. Uh, I myself have nothing to plug specifically, so I'm just going to plug all the work at Strickland that's going on. Uh, really good. Check out the pods, check out the articles, all that shit. Uh, that is our pod for this week. I uh, hope everybody has a wonderful week, and I will see you on Friday. Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you it's mean cellar. the mini fridge. It's a mini fridge. It's a mini fridge. New episodes of Fly on the Wallen drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallen wherever you get your podcasts.